Chelsea Fairless. And welcome to another episode of Every Outfit, where we talk about <laughs> pop culture things. <laughs> I'm still getting used to going back to the regular show, but there's still Sex and the City shit to talk about. Or should I say, and just like that. Yeah, and just like that news, like there's no bottom to it. Like we keep thinking we've hit... <laughs> hit the bottom, and then like Alice in Wonderland style, we fall down another psychedelic rabbit hole of and just like that content. In 15 years, Tim Burton's going to make a retelling of our experience with and just like that. But before we get into that, I just want to say I've had such a great week because I'm so touched by the response to our Patreon. It really exceeded our expectations, which were based on statistics of conversion rates from podcast to Patreon. But you guys like broke the mold. You really came through. Yeah, to break the fourth wall a little bit, we got on a call with a Patreon person who was was like mm, it's like maybe one percent like 0.5 percent of your listeners so we were like okay okay and nope <laughs> yeah which is really just lovely and amazing also we're applying our own feelings to patreon onto this onto the launch experience because chelsea and myself would never join a patreon when someone first starts it like we have well yeah we support many people on patreon we just don't do it Immediately. Immediately, which is really surprising and fun. Although we definitely did get some DMs and bad reviews from people who were annoyed that we were paywalling our content, which I think is really unfair because I think that having so much free access to content on the internet has really broken everyone's brains and made people think that writers and musicians and other creators don't deserve any sort of compensation for their labor. But like, if you've been favoriting Roxanne Gay's tweets for the last decade, subscribe to her Substack. If you've been jerking off to the same porn star forever, subscribe to their OnlyFans. Yeah, Jesus Christ, so they could stop doing porn. <laughs> It seems a little anti-pornography, Lauren. I'm sorry, guys. No, subscribe so that they can keep making better, more niche porn. Because that's the exciting thing about sites like Patreon and Substack is that it allows people to make work that no corporate entity would fund, which is great. Kind of the model that I think we'll follow or I enjoy in particular is what Alison Roman does, which is you can go to her YouTube, of which there are ads within that. But the recipes that are in her newsletter, which is paid wall that we pay for, eventually appear on her YouTube channel. So yeah, there's lots of fabulous people that you could be supporting, not just us, just like think about the people whose content that you love and regularly consume and consider giving them a buck or five and honestly if you're not in a place to do that no judgments completely understand we've been in the same place and this will always be here for everyone it's just it's kind of the patreon is more of us if the feedback <laughs> is anything to go by and one of the things that you get in addition to more episodes exclusive episodes is being a part of our close friends list which chelsea has been killing the content on there you got <laughs> i'm just complaining about every single magazine <laughs> 
Well, you received, you finally purchased because the price went down enough, which I think we talked about in another episode of the Kylie Jenner, Travis Scott W Magazine issue of which you do an oral commentary as you go through the editorial. <laughs> so these are the kinds of things that you will, will get if you join the Patreon. Yeah, exactly. Enough about Patreon. In conclusion, thank you guys. This is far beyond our expectations. It has given Chelsea a belief that maybe one day we might get that Chapo Trap House money. (laughs) Okay, I don't actually have that belief, but it's just crazy to imagine that happening. Like, what are you buying if we're making Chapo Trap House coin? Which is what? They're making like 150K a month? Yeah, because the last time I checked in on their Patreon, it was like 50,000. You're like, okay. And now it's 100. Yeah, also there's like many of them. Yeah, it's like um, the polyphonic spree (laughs) socialist <laughs> commentary so they all only get two thousand dollars a month when when it really comes down to it well and they're oh it's lauren's reminder to take her birth control <laughs> i love that you still do that oops <laughs> so funny what am i doing if we make chapo trap house money i mean i'm definitely giving up this aspiring screenwriter <laughs> shtick that's going right out the door <laughs> I'm funding a bulldog rescue in Topanga Canyon. So basically donating to our Patreon is charity. (laughs) And I also want to start a line of expensive candles, like (laughs) dipping... Dipping my toe into the pond of candle making with our Yowie collab has just gotten me really excited. And I would love to just be that bitch. Well, we were also discussing direct-to-consumer products that don't exist yet because you got me beautiful flowers for Valentine's Day. And I fortunately have a very tall vase. And I said, I want a company that just gives you the vases you need. I think it's like you get a seasonal vase. Yeah. So you can build your vase collection over time. For appropriate bouquets, because once you start getting flowers, you're like, oh, this vase is way, every vase is way too large for a singular bouquet. Yeah, those Bristol Farms uh, rose stems are fucking long, and I'm shocked that you had a vase that was tall enough to accommodate them. I think you got me probably years ago, probably on Valentine's Day, because you're the only one that gets me flowers. Every year you've done some sort of proof of life thing. Like last year you brought pastries over from Bottega Louie. I think just to make sure, because I had just gone through a breakup. You were like, I hope this bitch is still alive. Just checking in. But yeah, I think I years ago had gotten a large vase for some extravagant bouquet you had gotten me. Mm. You've had a busy week. We both had a busy week between launching the Patreon, doing our normal episode, and also all the dumb bullshit that we have to do. (laughs) Yeah, if you support us on Patreon, I can spend less time doing contract work, which would be really amazing because I've been doing some consulting for this perfume company, which is great, but it has forced me to reckon with a subgenre of fragrance fans, which is, oh God, which is straight male fragrance influencers it is the fucking darkest shit i've ever seen lauren i mean you know i've sent you some of them my saturday night was spent also working but also you (laughs) sending me these tiktoks of straight male influencers. they're all straight i mean there's some gay ones and no shade to those ones like those are the ones that you want to follow but it is really bizarre and they have like entire like walls in their house that have hundreds of colognes and they're really like obsessed creed fragrances and with dior sauvage like they're kind of dandies but not in a cool hamish bowls way it's more like three-piece zara skinny suit with a wallet chain vibes like 
God, I'm such a bitch. It's a weird mashup of like the Sigma male that goes to the gym six days a week, listens to Tim Ferriss and Joe Rogan, but also has a wall of perfumes. Yeah, and they're like really obsessed with like identifying the fragrances that turn women on like catnip. You know, it's 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 gross. It's it- grotesque. Anyway, I don't want to do it. So rescue me. Help. That's the first rescue. <laughs> then you can start the the bulldog rescue. <laughs> well, it reminds me of Paul Rudd's character in Anchorman when he's got Sex Panther, and he's like, sixty percent of the time it works every time. <laughs> yeah, we often talk about just amongst ourselves, and now with you guys, of like some sort of influencer version of curb your enthusiasm based on our like harrowing experiences as late life influencers. And I was coming up with like, oh, that could be like a boyfriend of the week or something, a guy that is a perfume influencer and it could be like the stanford episode when he yeah like the doll collection the doll collection and yeah the character knocks over a precious i don't know what is a precious male perfume like aventus by creed or what else do they love um i mean they love tom ford fragrances a lot they love really niche brands though also of course yeah but not like cool ones anyway Shall we get into, again, there was an odd amount of and just like that related news. The first of which was we were graced with Sarah Jessica Parker's presence on Watch What Happens Live on Valentine's Day. The bartender was our love, Dan Clay, (laughs) a.k.a. Carrie Dragshaw. You forget how tall Dan is. Did you see that photo of Dan in heels (laughs) with... Sarah Jessica? It's a group effort. It's like, I forget about how short Sarah Jessica (laughs) Parker is and how tall Dan is. So the combination is just like the craziest visual gag. The headline of her appearance was the fact that she admitted to Andy that she had not seen episodes three through ten of And Just Like That, which means that she only watched the first two episodes that were screened at the premiere. Which is not unusual. There are many actors that don't like to watch their own performances. But what's hard to believe for mega fans, and I think even the casual viewer, is this woman is an executive producer of the show. Like, is she not in on the edits? Yeah, that does strike me as a bit bizarre. Also, I wonder if she's one of those actors that only reads their scenes in the script and, like, doesn't know what the fuck else happens in the episode. There are people like that. Which would, again, be fine, except for the fact that Casey Boys, who's the chief content officer at HBO slash HBO Max, said that there are active discussions about a season two event just like that. But it comes down to Michael Patrick King and Sarah Jessica Parker talking about the creative direction for the next season, which she says they're doing right now. We're not confident that she knows what happened in the first season. MPK knows. It's sad that she hasn't seen episode five. I mean, she lived it, so... Yeah, but she didn't get to see those cuts in between the fucking and the Snapple pissing. I think what also got lost in this, because it's so shocking to hear that she hasn't watched three-fourths of the season, is the reason she admits this is Andy is asking her, does she think Chase Comedy Concert is funny? And that's her way of ducking the answer. But something she says quickly before admitting this is she indicates to Andy, well, you know, we've talked about this. I just haven't said it publicly, which to me kind of says that she, <laughs> that she admitted to Andy Cohen, her friends, and did her buddy. Yeah, I don't think Chase <laughs> It's funny. I didn't think we fucked that up. Yeah, you know, they were like at Via Corota talking about how unfunny Chady as his stand-up is. Facts. But I'm sure they both were like, Sad is amazing on Broadway, though. <laughs> Have you seen Spam a lot? 
I went back and I watched the episode. The only other thing of note I found was Andy asks her, are there any other guest stars that you wanted back? And Sarah Jessica says, Amelita, but she doesn't know the character's name and Dan had to tell her who the character was. She's like, who's that person the first season who's like fabulous? It's like, okay, how would we work back in? I mean, I would love that. Yeah. But how are we going to work back in this sex worker? I mean, I don't... Sugar She's baby? a citizen of the world and citizen... Citizens of the world are like popping up everywhere. She could have run into her in Paris. That's what I was thinking. That would be amazing. Carrie! <laughs> She's like scattering <laughs> Big's fucking ashes out of this. This man, he has normal sized penis, but he's only so so rich. Anyway, bye! See you at George Sank. <laughs> we need Jennifer Coolidge back. That much I know. And then the other thing was, there's a Vogue article with Cynthia Nixon. She's promoting the Gilded Age. But she was, of course, asked about people's reactions to the Miranda character, to which she said she finds all of our reactions to the doofusication of Miranda bizarre. Well, no shade to Cynthia. I'm not talking shit about anything that she says. Obviously, we've talked extensively about our desire to see this character thrive, but to each their own. We've also been told that she has listened to this podcast. And so maybe she's (laughs) listening now. I don't know. But Chelsea, this is going to be my fucking 13th reason why. Okay, the fact that they (laughs) cannot comprehend. It is not the idea behind what they wanted to do with Miranda. It's the execution And given Sarah Jessica Parker's comment, have any of them seen this fucking show? Like, I think Cynthia and Kristen have watched the whole show. Are we watching two different shows? I think it's different when you're so in it. Something I didn't say on the Patreon episode that I just remembered was when I was in high school, my Spanish teacher assigned something and we came in the next day and we had all done a different assignment. And instead of yelling at us because he was an authority figure, he was like, oh, I must have done something wrong if collectively everyone misunderstood the assignment. That's very generous. What a cool teacher. He was. Can we make a Mr. Holland's opus type (laughs) film about this man? Gracias, Senor Posey. But at what point are they going to have a reckoning of like, that's interesting. Almost everyone has had the same reaction to this character, to this show. But they can't say that in the press because that soundbite ends up on the Daily Mail and everyone reports on it. And then it seems like a criticism of the show, which they can't do publicly because that's just how it works. I thought that was a great interview, actually. We'll put it in the show notes. They asked her the hard questions. I love any interview where someone gets to use the phrase agitprop, (laughs) especially in regards to sex in the city. So love Cynthia. Moving on, I think the most unexpected and just like that news item this week was the release of King Princess's latest single titled Che Diaz in parentheses. I've done a ton of weed. Let's listen to a bit of it now. Che is funny. I'm glad you think so because you're coming with me to their comedy concert Friday night. Che, che, che. Ask for what you want. What's a turn on? I am Che Diaz, your host and queer, non-binary, Mexican-Irish diva representing everyone else outside these two boring jokes. Yeah, but I still get this guy. I have no notes. It is weirdly perfect, but if you've never listened to a King Princess song before, this probably isn't the best place to start. But we are so lucky to have the artist here with us today, who is a brilliant singer, songwriter, and power lesbian, who is currently on tour with Casey Musgraves. Welcome to the Every Outfit podcast. 
Thank you, girls. I'm like so thrilled to be here. <laughs> so we've talked to a lot of people about the character of Che Diaz and everyone has very different takes, but I would love to hear yours. What was your initial reaction to this character? I'm like so happy you brought this up because I've been thinking about this for upwards of five weeks now because I think that Che Diaz is ushering in, I feel like a new era of queer character where they're the villain. <laughs> and, I, and I love that. But what about Ursula from The Little Mermaid or, or Jafar from The Lion King? <laughs> See, we, we had animated representation. Now we have real life IRL. And that was all subtext. We finally have text. Yeah. Yes. It's all out there. This is text. And I think that Che Diaz is kind of like the sleep paralysis demon of what queer people like are. And it's true. It's like we do do horrible things like smoke weed at a funeral or force people to listen to a song to tell them news. Like these are things I've seen happen via gay people and queer people. So I feel in that way seen. But also the character, it's just when, when Che Diaz came on the screen, I was just like, oh my God, this is going to be a vibe. <laughs> I know. I felt like I was hallucinating during the first scene, like the first X, Y, and me podcast, which is of course referenced in your beautiful song. Yes. Yes. The con And I think that that it was hard finding all of the clips that I wanted to use in the song to convert from YouTube to MP3 because there was also kind of the issue of during a lot of these trailers where they showcase Che Diaz, like on YouTube, there's like insane music playing in the background. I feel your pain and it makes me feel so much better that we're ripping from the same source. <laughs> That's my, it's the only sampler I use is YouTube to MP3. So are you into Che being with Miranda though? Miranda being queer? Like what's your take on that? I think that what is cool about the storyline that they did not end up, I feel like, accomplishing at the end, but what they were going towards was that Miranda was going to, like, experience this, like, horrible, insane whirlwind gay heartbreak that, like, we all, I feel like, except for straight people, have felt it to some degree of, like, being in so much love with someone that it's, like, painful. I, I was excited for that. But then Che Diaz kind of reciprocates it, which I'm confused about. Like, I don't know why. I was under the impression Che Diaz was like, I just want to fuck. Yeah, because that's the reality of that queer person in the world. Like, we know them. That is the representation that our community deserves, honestly. I don't understand why they need to do that. I don't either. I mean, even though Che's kind of a monster, like, they're also pretty hot. Like, would you go for Che or are you, like, femmes only? I would not go for Che, but only because I, as another genderqueer individual, non-binary person, I feel like I would feel so emasculated by Che's presence that I would not be able to handle it. But I, I, I've also, I've met many Che's and I love and I stand. I just wanted Che to be like, no, I just want to fuck. Like, please don't come and watch my my pilot taping it's very confusing tell us everything about the process of creating the song something tells me that weed was involved um yes i started smoking weed again and this this is what came out of that i i was similar to uh julia fox you know i was searching for my new muse and i found <laughs> my muse in che diaz I, originally do you mean che diaz che diaz <laughs> I made made the beat with my friend Veronica, and originally I was going to remix Nicole Kidman's AMC commercial. Oh my god! Don't even. <laughs> well, I know because I I was like 
I feel like I was on the cutting edge of that where I was at AMC because I'm a gold member at AMC, of course. And I was sitting there watching and it came up and I watched as like gay people started to realize this was like the next thing. Um, So I wanted to do that, but the beat wasn't right. No beat is right for that. We actually saw it last night because we went and saw Jackass, the movie on Valentine's Day together. And gorgeous. In seed movies before, I think we've seen like a lot of kind of queer movies together, like Spencer, like House of Gucci, where people have cheered during the mm-hmm. Nicole Kidman thing, but no one cheered during Jackass. It was very sad. You could feel that the guys in the theater were just like counting down the seconds. It's like, oh no, this is the highlight of the entire movie going experience. These are people obviously who have not experienced heartbreak, so they don't know how good it feels in a movie theater. And I, as someone who has experienced heartbreak at an AMC, I like to think about if that was the AMC I was in, that she had been in there <laughs> walking around in that in that gorgeous pantsuit. You know what? I realized it's actually a jumpsuit. It's a fucking optical illusion, this outfit. It is one piece. Quite like Carrie's Jean-Paul Gaultier Trompe-Loy jumpsuit. Yes, from And I Just Like That. You're so right. God, I could talk about Nicole Kidman actually we'll get, we'll all day. We'll it. get back to Nicole Kidman. But first, Sorry. you are like an old school Sex in the City fan. So I wanted to know which character do you personally identify with? And what's your general take on the reboot? Like, let's process this together. Okay, thank you. Um, I do. I really do need to process it because I, I feel like it's such a conversation in our house. Like there's anger, there's tears, there's happiness. Like it's it's really confusing. Um, the original one obviously is perfect. Nothing wrong with that. And I think that, I mean, I think I'd like to say I'm a Samantha just because of the shit that comes out of my mouth. I love a rebuttal. So I, I would say that. I think my girlfriend would also say I'm a Samantha. I think she's a Miranda for sure. 100. That's a cool combination of, of sex in the city personality types. I think, yeah, I think I'm a, I don't want to be Carrie. That's my fear. I'm good without that. Well, we're all like a little Carrie, you know, like there's a little Carrie inside every person, I think, which is why we are still able to connect with her, even though she was clinically depressed for all of and just like that. Anyway. So do you realize we got on such a tangent about Nicole Kidman that you did not explain the process of creating the change? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, right. Back to the song. The process was really frustrating for those around me because if what I do when I make these remixes, I've done a couple of them. I did the Kim Control scatting um, on some of my previous remixes. You might enjoy that. And I kind of just like find the sample and then I don't use headphones and just use my computer speakers on like full blast, like deafening on a bus full of people trying to sleep. So that's kind of what I do. And then luckily my friend sent me a beat that was perfect for this. So I used the beat. And um, then I just had to really find Che's shining moments. And for me, it was partially Carrie's introduction to Shay, which I thought was amazing. Like you're coming to this comedy concert and then, like you were going to come. And then it was also Miranda's sex noises that I chopped up and put as part of the beat. Um, <laughs> because they are terrifying. I did pitch them. Uh, I, I thought I was gonna have to pitch them down to make them more scary, but they're horrifying. So it was perfect. Then I just kind of told the story of Che. <laughs> I, I will say that like you sent me this song and I listened to it on my phone. And then the next day I got in my car and it just fully 
<laughs> to the speaker and I did drive down Santa Monica Boulevard blasting Che Diaz as as God intended. As God intended. And I think that a big thing for me is that no one is, you guys have really done a great job of pointing out that I've done a ton of weed is like the craziest thing to say. Who wrote that? Someone that has not done a ton of weed, I'm, I'm guessing. And also the same people that unironically are calling it a comedy concert. Those are the same people. No, no shade to the writers. I'm also obsessed with the casting of the comedy concert uh, patrons. <laughs> well, yeah. And also the, I don't know if it was like a protest or a gay pride <laughs> rally like that. <laughs> That crew. I loved the gay protest. They were protesting gay people. <laughs> they were protesting the existence of gay people. I really enjoyed that. I would go to that. I'd go to that just to see Miranda like running away to get iced coffee in, in her wedge sandals. Yes, I loved. I loved that. Any other final and just like that thoughts before we leave the land of and just like that and talk about something else? I think that the my biggest issue with the because I, I did love it. I fucking loved it. And I want a thousand more seasons of this. But I also I think when I break it down is like the thing I thought was the most wrong was that there's no voiceover. Like I just thought it was like we need Carrie's guiding presence to tell us what these other bitches are doing, you know, and I, I, I didn't necessarily understand the tone. Like like you guys have pointed out, it's a drama. It's an intense drama <laughs> now. But it throws you because there's so many little callbacks to like the show that was once fun, escapist and delightful. But yeah, I agree with you about the voiceover. I also like I never thought I would say this, but like the lack of just like that jazz, the lack of jazz makes it feel not like sex in the city. And that's why when I watched the documentary, like, did you see that? It was incredible. Yeah, because it had jazz. It had jazz. I felt like I had come home or something. Also, original Sex in the City had a lot of disco, too. Mm -hmm. Like, it wasn't really the songs of the era. So I think it was weird not having, not having disco either. Well, these songs were, like, bizarre. They're from some purgatory of music that was, like, license-free, like, that you could just use. <laughs> They're from song purgatory. Like, I was like, this is the craziest soundtrack. I do miss jazz. Also, like, what did you think of the Hello, It's Me of it all? Like, are you vibing? Are you covering Hello, It's Me? Uh, on the Casey Musgraves tour? Yes. They told me I cannot cover my own remix of Che Diaz, parentheses, <laughs> on the Casey Musgraves tour. But Disagree. <laughs> I want to hear about this Casey Musgraves tour. How's it going? What's Casey like? Is she the angel that I think her to be? Or is she like a secret monster? What's What's up? No, she's been wonderful. I mean, the, the thing about this tour is I've never opened for anybody before, which is obviously an interesting vibe because I'm used to like being a monster. Like I'm a, I'm a diva monster. So then to be like, you know, on somebody else's tour, it's, it's kind of incredible and really fun to like, I have my job. I do my, I do 40 minutes set. I open up for her and Muna is before me. And then she goes on and it's honestly been great. Like we get fucked up and we watch her show like a lot there's confetti there's like she does all this awesome shit like there's like fucking confetti and fire and i'm like i love that 
That sounds amazing. Yeah, I want to go. I w- I haven't gotten tickets yet, but I want to go to the show on Sunday. It's on Sunday, right? In LA, yeah, you should go. I mean, I've I'm, I've been having a blast. Like, obviously, the crowd is very homosexual, which is to my favor and benefit. It's been helpful, and I I've been enjoying it. I think my band's enjoying it too. I've seen you before, and I feel like your fans are like very young, like queer euphoria vibes. But are Casey's yeah. fans like elder millennial gay dudes? Like, what's the there's that it's kind of a mix there's like there's that and then there's like young gay men and then there's like gay women and then there's also very much so cisgendered straight women and like they're my favorite like they are my favorite for sure because I like last night uh, our show in Dallas there was like this girl in the front row this just straight woman just womanya full gown like just killing it and I just got got up on stage and just started singing to her. And she just looked so horrified and but also excited. And I was just like, this, these are the moments I live for. Like, I love that. So she was Charlotte at Che's comedy concert is what you're saying. He was extremely Charlotte at Che's comedy concert. And I was Che. I was <laughs> of che. course. I am Che to some degree. I think maybe that's why I'm horrified because I'm like, that's that's me. Yeah. <laughs> so as we know, you release music pretty consistently, which I appreciate as a fan. But when are we getting a full length album? Like what's happening with that? Yeah. So I just shot the first video and I shot the cover art, which was really fun. And then so the album's done it's being mixed right now and then I have my first single which I've kind of been like teasing a little bit that I've been playing on this tour so if you come on Sunday you'll you'll hear it and yeah so that's what I've been doing so it's it's gonna be soon because they gotta get this shit out amazing I don't know any dates or schedule for anything so I'm the wrong person to ask that's completely fine. I mean, there is still time to change the album art and title to Hello, It's Me, Che Diaz. Just put right. it out there. Right, 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 right. Yeah, no, I, I would I would love to have Che Diaz open up for my <laughs> with a 30-minute with a comedy set. That would be absolute perfection. But because we've only played your song Che Diaz on the pod, we thought we'd close this segment with one of your other songs. But I'd love you to pick what song that is. What should we play? Um, I guess you should play the one that was most recently released besides Che Diaz. Little Bother. Little Bother with me and my good homie Fouché, who's amazing. All right. Well, with that, thank you so much for being here. I know this won't be the last time we speak to you. Please let me know whenever. I love this. I've never done a podcast. This is quite fun. Oh my God. Amazing. Well, yeah, we love having you here. And with that, this is King Princess's latest single, Little Bother. Do you feel like you? So I had everyone over to the house on Sunday for the Super Bowl. And by everyone, I meant Chelsea, my parents. (laughs) Yeah, it was a very intimate soiree. And my two other friends. And it was a perfect 
group of people because it's all people that do not like football. No one cared about football. The only person that knew how the game works was your dad. And he barely knows. Yeah, I mean, he truly was the blind leading the blind. But you need to, I realize, if you're going to watch the Super Bowl, you need it to be a collection of people that either care about football or don't and are just in it for the halftime show and commercials. And also my friend Kayla was obsessed with the Puppy Bowl. So we were toggling in between Puppy Bowl and Super Bowl. As you should. I think LA won, question mark. Go Rams. LA is so vast that truly on our side of town, you could not tell that a Super Bowl was happening. No. In our own city. It was business as usual in West Hollywood. My parents had been to that stadium and they were looking at like B-roll that was happening and they went, wait, there's a pond there? (laughs) Yeah, I was like, where is this? It's in Inglewood. We definitely don't care about the games, but we do care about the ads. Although I don't know if the advertising agencies care about us. And also it's like, has so many days gone by that no one cares about the commercials anymore, but we're just going to give kind of our highlights. So I think starting with, well, a low light would be all the fucking crypto commercials. I don't understand cryptocurrency at all. Like, I don't even understand the normal stock market. So this all went over my head. I felt like these commercials were like playing Russian roulette with your favorite character actor. And it's like, which of them were willing to suck corporate crypto cock for a fat check? Like the relief. (laughs) Who sucked crypto cock the hardest? Well, certainly, I don't know if this one played during the Super Bowl, but those fucking crypto.com commercials that play before every film with Matt Damon in it like the relief that i felt when i saw that ewan mcgregor was just in an expedia ad and not like a coinbase commercial because they all are the same it's all like our earth we're a part of it the beach the people you're like i can't tell is this for online booking of cheap hotels Uh, is this the latest christian dior fragrance campaign starring natalie portman that we could do a whole patreon just on those ads which are truly demented and have ushered in a really terrifying era of fragrance advertising not to bring it back to the (laughs) fragrance world At this point, do you remember that Larry David was in a crypto commercial? Oh, yeah. By the way, don't even remember what the company was. So job not well done. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like that one was good. Was it? I don't know. Maybe I was just happy to see Larry David. What was the pitch on that? Like, does this man not have enough money? They gave him a lot of money. Putting Larry David in an ad is a great idea for literally any company. I think the same goes for Jennifer Coolidge, who was in the Uber Eats ad. That was also, I think, a highlight. Yeah. What other celebrity commercials do you think were good? <sighs> um, I guess the McDonald's one with Kanye, because I think that the concept of that ad, which was about not knowing what to order at McDonald's, when you get to the counter speaks to a fundamental truth about going to McDonald's because you're like, oh, fuck, I want a Big Mac, but I also want a chicken nuggets. Like, should I get the pie? Like, should I get a combo? Like, it's perplexing. What's your McDonald's order? Chicky nuggies. I'm all about a crispy chicken sandwich. I mean, everything at McDonald's is delicious. It's just a fact. Just as I'm not a fan of teasing teaser trailers, I don't love that we're releasing Super Bowl commercials a week before the game. Like, I get that it's incredibly expensive, but I don't feel like I needed to see that whole Colin Joe, Scott Johansson, Amazon ad five days before it was in the Super Bowl. 
Yeah, I agree. It makes put watching up, the Super Bowl less fun. Put them up afterwards. Absolutely. Yeah. Another thing that really traumatized me was the Doja Cat Taco Bell commercial, <laughs> which actually made me want to kill myself. She covered Hole's Celebrity Skin, a song that is perfect and very meaningful to me personally. And she turned it into a generic, cheesy Disney pop punk jingle we listened to the single before we saw it in the commercial so we were very confused why certain lyrics were changed especially the lyric a walking study in demonology because i'm like why would you change this unless you're an evangelical or something taco bell a secret evangelical company like i get why she would take hooker out because she'd get a lot of shit for that well, would she even though she's a rapper? But it's a Taco Bell commercial. It's But it was for a Taco at- Bell commercial and that's why. And now having seen the Taco Bell commercial, it doesn't make any sense. It's a terrible Taco Bell commercial. She's a clown and then she becomes Doja Cat. But how does celebrity skin have anything to do with this? Is I don't the, know. It's the Oh, Make Me Over lyric. I can't explain that to you, Lauren. If someone can call into the hotline <laughs> and explain this ad, I would love that. All of these ads made me think that we're in the wrong career and we could work for an ad agency because it does seem like they're just spinning wheels that are all just 90s nostalgia. Like at this point, if we run out of 90s films to parody and so- Super Bowl commercials. It's problematic because it's all about getting a celebrity. And so instead of just thinking of a really strong concept for an ad, they have to build something around whatever celebrity and it always ends up being bad. And it makes me respect companies like, even though I don't like Red Bull ads per se, I don't think they're funny. At least they march to the beat of their own drum and have a distinctive presence, which I don't think many companies have anymore. I'll say a ad that worked very well on that was built on a concept was the Google Pixel 6 phone commercial. Oh, yeah, that was great. About photographing black skin. That was one of the only commercials I remember. Which I guess debuted a Lizzo song also within it. I think the most confusing commercial for us was the Jim Carrey cable guy, which it's not... (laughs) Only for the fact that it's like, has anyone seen the film Cable Guy other than the two of us? Like, it's a very iconic. <laughs> it was a flop at the time, and everyone went to it thinking they would see Ace Ventura or The Mask, and it was a dark comedy that ended in Jim Carrey's suicide. I guess no one saw the film, but everyone saw it at Blockbuster, just that VHS cover. It's a brilliant movie. I think it's really underrated. Well, it has Judd Apatow. It's where Judd Apatow met Leslie Mann. As everyone on TikTok is discovering that Maude Apatow, who plays Lexi on Euphoria, is a maybe the only sanctioned nepotism baby. Everyone's like, all right, you're a nepotism baby, but we like you. Yeah. It is directed by Ben Stiller, not his directorial debut. It's the film he does after Reality Bites. An underrated director, I'm just going to say it. I don't think he gets enough props at putting accurate pop culture within films. Like, And he does it with Reality Bites. It's the fake... House of Style show with Gene Triplehorn and then in Cable Guy is the Bobo Menendez brothers trial. trial. Well, he also did it in Tropic Thunder with the fake movie trailers at the beginning of the film, which felt completely realistic. I guess what we're saying is like Ben Stiller film (laughs) retrospective. But I always like seeing Jim Carrey, but I don't want him to be in a Super Bowl ad. I want him to have like an Oscar movie or something. We also felt this way. We'll get to it in a second. But we saw Jackass. And before that, he's the villain in Sonic the Hedgehog 2. And I just leaned over to you and I was like, can this man please do another Michel Gondry film? 
please, someone cast this man. Everyone loves him. It's the same with Adam Sandler. I would like to see him get more post-Uncut Gems prestige films. Ooh, Jim Carrey in a, in a Safdie Brothers film? Sure. And by the way, didn't you mean Uncut Gems? Uncut Gems. <laughs> I am so obsessed with Uncut Gems. Julie Fox is so funny because comments by celebs just put up that she responded to. Page Six did a montage of everyone doing that impression from her appearance on Call Her Daddy and she just commented. She was like, oh my god, leave me alone. I was stoned, guys. <laughs> this is like perfect response. You have to get high before you go on Call Her Daddy. We're gonna get another one our review because people think every time we mention call her daddy we're making fun of her we're not daddy cooper speaking of things white girls love the halftime show i think everyone liked the halftime show which was the key to the halftime show's success even my parents they were like okay they're like this eminem he's a good rapper oh my god I thought the set was brilliant, which I find often the set is kind of whatever, but the layout of the city of Los Angeles. I think the layout of the structure was good, and I thought that it was really cool how they started the show with Snoop Dogg on one side of the building and Dre on the other, then they met in the middle. But I do wish that Kanye had done the creative, and he kind of did when you think about it, because when I saw this, I couldn't help but think about the Donda listening party where he built his childhood home in the center of a stadium. Do you think Kanye was telling everyone within earshot that that this design was inspired by his Donda show? Or could he not see it through the mask he was wearing? Uh, yeah, he may, he may have no fucking clue. It was also a very hot day in Los Angeles. It was 85 degrees. But there were no weak links on that stage, which was amazing. Everyone was so great. I teared up during Mary J. Blige because... She's just such a brilliant performer, and it's just so hard not to be floored by the scope of her talent. Also, Kendrick was amazing. I think my favorite part was that insane transition between Kendrick and Eminem, where he started doing like a marching band version of Forgot About Dre, and then Eminem came in with his verse. Nuts. Am I dumb for not initially realizing that Eminem was kneeling in solidarity to Colin Kaepernick? Because I didn't realize that either. I thought he was kneeling in reverence to... Dr. Dre and the moment. Yeah. But I think it's cool. I mean, he's the only person on that stage who could do that with minimal consequence. Like, can you imagine if Kendrick or Mary J kneeled? People would be overturning cars in the parking lot. I know this question is beside the point, but do you think Eminem's dying his beard? Because it's really black. Don't talk shit about my man, who was amazing, (laughs) by the way. I've talked about loving Eminem on this podcast before, and I continue to love him. He's great. You, for Halloween a couple years ago, dressed up as Elton John and Tat dressed up as Eminem, and you recreated their Grammy performance. (laughs) That was pretty amazing, because that was when Tat's uh, head was shaved and bleached, and she did look eerily similar to Eminem, and I am aging into a more (laughs) Elton John vibe. It was funny, because when Tat wasn't with you, you just looked like Penny Marshall. (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah, I was wearing like a hot pink pantsuit. It was also like the, the wig. Tinted glass. <laughs> oh. One thing I will say, not to be a bitch, but. You? Us? <laughs> some of these people need new stylists. Kendrick looked amazing. Mary J looked amazing. Snoop, great. No one has ever needed a Balenciaga makeover more than Eminem. He needs to be in a giant tracksuit. And 50 Cent was like, what was that? 
rappers shouldn't be wearing skinny jeans. Well, also, Dre is doing that thing that Jeff Bezos does, and a lot of guys do, the Oppenheimer brothers from Selling Sunset, where guys that are kind of naturally skinny that start to get buff is they take on the form of, like, a Dorito, where it's like they're all built here, and then they get very thin uh, in the waist, and then they're skinny in their legs. Yeah, I think Dre looked the best of the three people I've mentioned, but he needs a Bottega Veneta makeover. He needs like a black leather ensemble, I think. And Snoop, Snoop is just evergreen. I think Snoop was great. I mean, but 50 Cent, did you notice how his wife beater had what almost looked to be gingham or buffalo plaid? But that's what it evoked for me. And it reminded me of the store in Provincetown that sells gingham harnesses for gay men that are into BDSM, but also like those gays that are aggressively preppy and wear bow ties and shit. (laughs) Anyway, that was my reference point. And he's so fucking hot, you know? Uh, He also needs a Bottega makeover. Get on it. Unfortunately, my job is not being 50 Cent stylist, but I think that would be a great endeavor for Tat. I was going to (laughs) say, could you imagine? She would be so good with a rapper. So on Valentine's Day, we found ourselves alone yet again, which has been a recurring theme. So we, we did what we always do, which is see a movie together on Valentine's Day. I mean, it's almost as good as the time that we saw Fifty Shades right after you got your nose job. But I believe we've talked about that before. One cool thing about L.A. is that people walk around with bandages on their face. I think people are aware of that from the film Clueless. That and the fact that there's valet parking everywhere. The two, the two truisms from the film Clueless. We also saw Phantom Thread. Together. Perfect Valentine's Day movie. Especially if you're alone, yes. But yeah, we saw the film Jackass together. We went to Universal Studios, which I think is becoming your new favorite theater. Yeah, because we sit in recliners. They have a good bar. There's a good Sephora. It's a slept on Sephora because who would go up to Universal Studios to go to said Sephora? We did have a bit of an issue getting a a table at any restaurant that was there. There's a Buca de Beppo and we're like, oh, that'll be fun. (laughs) That's like funny to go. We couldn't even get into Margaritaville. So we go into Buca de Beppo. Did I tell you this? I checked Friday and I couldn't even get a table. And I was like, okay, maybe, I don't know, one of those places you have to go into. And the hostess was so bizarre because she couldn't just say, right, usually a hostess will be like, we're fully committed for the evening. She was like, we're only taking reservations. And then just looked in the other direction. And was like, wait, so are you saying like we have to make a reservation or... Yeah, like, do you need me to go on An Resi app? right now? Yeah. Like, what? what's the deal, bitch? Just say you can't take us. So then we walked over to Margaritaville, which was empty. And the woman was yeah, like... Yeah, had literal tumbleweeds, <laughs> like... And the woman was like, it's going to be a 40-minute wait. So we just drank Marg's at a bar. It's our go-to place. Yeah, I forget what it's called, but... Justice was our server. He was great. He had to listen to us talk about Kanye <laughs> the entire meal. And at some point, he just had to interject... So we saw Jackass, and as I said to you halfway through the film, I was like, oh, I feel like this film has healed me from any trauma I felt from the Trump administration. Yeah, I was sitting there thinking, this might be the best movie I've seen all year. It's so unique. Chelsea, it's February. (laughs) Are you including last? Oh, right. I I thought it was still... I'm sorry. I still think it's 2021. (laughs) Fair enough. 
But yeah, it is the best movie I've seen all year, for sure. <laughs> it gives me that same fuzzy feeling that Queer Eye does because there's a lot of male vulnerability and intimacy on screen, and I feel like I never see that in culture, which sucks. Yeah, and then there's also something about men brutalizing other men for the pleasure of others as highly cathartic. Well, there's also a homoerotic quality to it because these guys' dicks are getting bludgeoned while their friends stand around and watch. This is like kink.com or something. As I've spoken about, probably just to you, and I don't know why I'm, I'm going to admit this on the podcast, but after the Trump administration, I couldn't watch straight porn anymore. Like, I needed <laughs> to watch men brutalizing other men. And yes, kink.com Is has- that what you <laughs> typed into the search bar at Pornhub? There is something called naked combat. <laughs> I'm sitting in Jagas being like, what does this remind me of? And I'm like, oh, it's like naked combat, except at the end of these stunts, <laughs> the loser doesn't have to suck the other loser's dick. Unfortunately. But so many dicks. It's February, and I've seen so many dicks already. Like, I don't know if, if there are trend reports that go around in Hollywood <laughs> the same way of the fashion industry, but did someone go like, you know what? Flaccid cocks are so in for 2022. Ugh, I love it. And Johnny Knoxville is so hot. It's outrageous. He fills a niche of male sexuality that just is underserved, I feel. Like, there's something about the early 2000s when Jackass was very popular. I think about Andrew W.K.'s album where it's just him in white with the nosebleed going down. Yeah the white shirt but yeah something about also his style of like you know the big kind of texan bell buckle with the cut off dickies and the converse and a band shirt and then like a grandpa cardigan it's hot i also think steve-o's pretty hot you know steve-o has become really hot now that he's gotten sober and there's still that part where he's performing insane stunts but now he there's like an emotional intelligence to him Yeah. Remember when we saw him multiple times at the conveyor belt sushi place that used to be across the way from Arclight? You know, the one type of restaurant that Universal Studios needs is a conveyor belt sushi place. When we make the Chapo money, you better (laughs) believe. That's our other venture. (laughs) The one thing I did not care for in the Jackass film, the, the introduction of a female cast member. And I understand the impulse to do this. Of like, this is about equality and now we have a woman involved but it's like no this is not this is like when women are like you know what I think women should play in the NFL with men it's like no I don't want women on the crew of jackass I don't want a craft service lady I don't want a female medic I don't want a female PA no one should have to be around this one of the cameramen in jackass literally vomited multiple times throughout this yeah (laughs) underneath a mask I know we have to do if Tat watches it you have to just like fast forward through the part like a parent during a horror film you're like and this is too much for you so we're just gonna fast forward yeah cover your eyes little tatty (laughs) yeah this is an equality and it does feel and just like that-esque in the sense that it is a very transparent attempt to diversify a franchise that is very tribal in nature this is a group of cis straight, white, skater dudes who are performing a facsimile of, in another context, would be gay porn. Like, that's the appeal of it. Yeah. (laughs) Not to keep putting gay porn narratives. (laughs) It's fine. Let's bring it back. Fashion? Sure. 
So I'm sure that everyone has seen the Linda Evangelista People magazine cover. Certainly not the cover that she wanted to book in 2022. I think it is, though, because her whole missive now is like, I won't be fucking silent. She's suing the shit out of this company. We've talked about this on a previous episode. She went and got cool sculpting in 2016. She had a very rare but horrific side effect, which does the complete opposite of what cool sculpting is supposed to do, which is instead of freezing your fat off, it heats it up and produces more fat in your body except this time it's like hardened and she's undergone multiple full body lipo procedures but it always comes back which does seem like a horror movie it's at times something truly out of a David Cronenberg body horror film, but also it's tough because there's a reading of this that can't help but also feel like a plot line Owen Wilson would have had in Zoolander 3 of like, I had to get out of modeling because of a freak cool sculpting accident. Well, it also feels kind of Death Becomes Her-esque in a sense also. On our close friends feed, you you did make this point about like one photo, which is her kind of flexing her elbow to show this like piece of fat that's kind of coming over a tank top. And I understand when you read the article, it's like it's a hardened piece of fat that's underneath her skin. But it just looks like to any person that doesn't understand the context, just like what a normal human being looks like. Yeah, like that's what I would look like if I put on one of Tat's sports bras or something. So there is a part of this where it's like, look at me. I'm disfigured. I look like a size six. I can't look at myself. I know. (laughs) She looks like a totally normal person. I mean, yeah, she looks like a normal person but she's still beautiful. That's the thing. If she had Pat McGrath makeup, Steven Mizell, some compression garments, bitch is good to go. I do feel for her because it's very clear in this article, the trauma is she just, it's a mental thing. Well, being that beautiful is a curse. Oh, and yes. I empathize with people that are born with extreme beauty like that because people treat you differently for your entire life. And then one day you're invisible. And the most extreme example of that is not just being a model, but a supermodel. And even within the world of supermodels, arguably the greatest that ever lived in terms of versatility. So I understand how traumatic and horrifying this must be for her personally. But to me, looking at these photos, I'm like, this doesn't seem that bad. It doesn't. It's a mental block within her. And it kind of reminds me of, remember that Lauren Greenfeld documentary where she goes into the anorexia Oh, yeah, thin. Ooh, Lauren Greenfeld needs to get in with Linda Evangelista and tell this story. But do you remember the scene where they're like, draw how you think your body is? Of course. And then they make them stand in it and they're just an outsized drawing and they're such a thin person. That's what I kind of think is going on in Linda Evangelista's head. It's like, I think what she sees is like some kind of my 600 pound life thing. She probably thinks she looks like the elephant man. Also, every time I look up, because this happened last time when Linda Evangelista first told her story is now for the next week, I'm going to get laser away cool sculpting ads, like pre-roll ads (laughs) before my YouTube videos. (laughs) And it's always this one chick who is getting cool sculpting on her neck, which I think is what Linda Evangelista did, where it's like, no, I know you looked at my search history and you think that I want cool sculpting, but it's actually the opposite. I would never get cool sculpting. This is the worst PR imaginable for them. New York Fashion Week is happening, although I would argue that Rihanna's maternity looks are really monopolizing the fashion conversation right now. 
I mean, it's not hard. There's not a lot of marquee names at New York Fashion Week this season, so. Yeah, there's no Tom Ford. There's no Mark, which makes Michael Kors the biggest thing happening. Mazel. Yeah, and a lot of other brands have gone to Paris this season or aren't showing, so. They should go to London. I find London a much more interesting fashion week. Yeah, but I understand. If you're going to make an overseas trip, like, it's it's Paris. But back to Rihanna. I find that she is the epitome of that Maddie line this season from Euphoria where she's like, I would look cute pregnant because I'd just be me but pregnant. Well, she's part of a new era of maternity style, which is the collision of streetwear and maternity clothes, I guess. It's about like a baggy pant with the belly out and like crop top and it's so cute. Yeah, no no jeans with that spandex band for them. <laughs> no. Also, that Alaya custom was really, really beautiful that she wore with the hood that I assume was a reference to Grace Jones in A View to Kill costumed by Azadine. We got to do that episode of actual fashion designers that did costumes in movies. Yeah. But I think the only worthwhile show to speak of would be Laquan Smith's show, which was opened by Julia Fox. Muse of the pod, Julia Fox, and styled by friend of the pod, Mel Ottenberg. I love this for her. Break up with Ye in the morning, open Laquan <laughs> Smith in the evening. Yeah, it was great. It was definitely his best collection to date. It felt very American. I guess, because he's riffing on designers like Tom Ford and Halston and, and Rudy Gernreich, but he's fucking it up and making it really sexy and cunty and desirable. Good for him. I love this quote that he gave to Women's Wear Daily, which he called, he said, Julia's been my girl from day one. Julia's been so supportive of me from my early days. She always comes to me for a nasty cat suit for a night out on the town. And it just felt kind of pressy and gaggy. And I was like, let's just do it. Fuck Yeah. Sounds great. Although I did think it was an interesting choice. I didn't know that he had a long-standing relationship dressing Julia Fox, but I have to imagine that Kim Kardashian and Kylie Jenner are among his biggest clients in terms of custom looks. Like I feel like Kim is always in Laquan for any like KKW fragrance thing. And Kylie is always in Laquan at the nice guy or Craig's or whatever. I mean, countdown until Julia appears in a Skims campaign because that will really blow up Kanye's mind. Speaking of which, shall we get into Kardashians? Yeah. Kardashaholics Anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. At this point, it's not even Kardashian news. It's just a Kanye recap. I didn't even know where to begin. I had to go through our group chat to figure out all that's happened in the last five days. Okay, so this is the best I can figure because so much shit has happened and then he deletes everything at the end of the day. But it begins on Saturday with the Kid Cudi stuff, right? Where he calls out Kid Cudi for remaining friends with Pete Davidson instead of having his back, which is why Kid Cudi won't be appearing on his album, to which Cudi responds, I didn't even want to be on your album. Then we have that evening where Kanye posts the photo of the infamous 2019 Nobu dinner with him, (laughs) Timothy Chalamet, Kid Cudi, and Pete Davidson with an X over Pete's head. I think this is when he starts calling him Skeet. The X over the head was giving seven serial killer (laughs) energy. Yeah, he calls Pete Skeet, which is slang for cum. Which is weird because it's like at the time that Kanye's posting this, Kim and Pete are in New York together on a date. It's like, why are you calling him Skeet? Because he's currently Skeeting into your wife, your ex-wife, your strange wife. So I don't know why you're calling him this. 
One thing that I will say about Kanye, he is good at a nickname, whether it's Chris Jung-un or <laughs> when he called Corey Gamble Kanye in that tweet. Like, it's good. Although I don't want to say anything positive about his behavior, which I think is really scary and unhinged, but continue. Then he started to post a bunch of lame memes, which you know he's a conservative because he's posting terrible memes. Yeah, unfunny, like Marvel poster photoshops. And then I think it's Sunday morning when he posts, for everyone married, hold your spouse close. Make sure they know how much you love and appreciate them because there's a skeet lurking on every dirty ass alley waiting to help destroy your family and walk around in Calvin Klein's around your children. I wish my wife was with me and our children were sitting on the 50 yard line. I understand how mentally Kanye got to this Calvin Klein thing because Pete Davidson does look like someone that would be in a CK1 campaign in the 90s. And he's so insecure that he twisted this mental image into some scenario where Pete Davidson is like a covert abuser of his children, which is insane. He hasn't even met their kids. Also, Kanye has started to cognitively reframe the situation to make it seem like Kim left Kanye to be with Pete, which is like she filed for divorce. Your marriage was over for, I mean, conservatively a year before, but fine. I think this is also when Kanye alleges that Pete Davidson fucked Hillary Clinton because he has a tattoo of her. Which I didn't know about that, and that is not a good tattoo, but whatever. Amongst like 78 other terrible tattoos. Yeah. I think he and Steve-O are tied for like the worst tattoos ever. Also, I think on Sunday is when he posts the text message purportedly from Pete Davidson, where he politely tells Kanye like, I've never met your children, but I hope to. I hope we can all be friends. He goes to the Super Bowl with North and Saint. Does not seem to interact with his children the entire game. North looks miserable, just saying, every time the camera was on her. Uh, and then the next day is Valentine's Day, where he has a Tim Burton-esque flower <laughs> arrangement delivered to her. It was very Tim Burton. I think that is really scary. Well, that's stalker behavior. When a billionaire is stalking you, that's terrifying. It gets into very sleeping with the enemy territory because later that day is when he posts Kim's text to him begging him to stop publicly threatening Pete because real harm can come from this. So he posts that and is like, okay, you've heard it here first, like don't hurt him. And then post another text message from her where she's like, why are you posting our private chats? To which, and this was the most disturbing where he's like, cause I'm your biggest fan and I love you. He's not even angry. Like he's happy that he's posting all of this stuff. He's like, why wouldn't I want everyone to see? I'm your biggest fan. He seems a little manic. But yeah, I can't imagine getting that text from Kim and having the instinct to screenshot and post it when someone's begging you to keep the conversation private. So two things. I feel that at this point, this goes beyond mental illness. Oh, yeah. I have friends with bipolar who have been through heartbreak. They don't behave like this like this is a narcissist who's in the denial stage of a breakup and at this point she has every right to file a protective order and she should yeah and then today before we started recording i guess someone on his team finally showed him the what 2018 2019 weekend update bit where pete davidson is talking about kanye's behavior and being like take your meds it's great i also have a mental illness that doesn't preclude you from acting like an asshole yeah i love that he posted that because Points were made. Like, you're, he's actually amplifying a very funny and sound message. 
Well, this is the other point I want to make, which is Kanye's old playbook of starting beef isn't working anymore because no one wants in. And the other part is he's not beefing with other rappers or lyricists. Like, he's getting into fights with comedians who are better writers than you. And I think a perfect example of this is Judd Apatow was also at the Super Bowl game and he did a post where he said, I'm sitting near Kanye. He seems very hot and sweaty in the mask. I overheard him say, man, I wish I didn't go with the mask today. But now that I'm in it, I can't really bail on it. Do you think I could lose it at halftime? Seems like a logical place to make a change. His friend said, no, you have to commit. Then Kanye said, I wish we would have cut some more vents in this thing. Then his pal said, I told you to go with a creepy contact lens, but you didn't listen. You never listened. Go Rams. To which Kanye commented, this is what happens when you don't get a Hillary tattoo. And then Judd replied to that, I think your plan is backfiring. I just gained 28 followers. That is the funniest tweet I have ever heard because it's so we know Kanye to be a fashion victim and (laughs) this proves it. He's surrounded by not only sycophants, which I think is explained by the fact that, like, who was the person that finally showed him that Pete Davidson weekend update bit? Because it's been a week and he's only gotten there now. That is surprising. And also everyone who's commenting, because I look at the comments of these posts and everyone is giving him approval. So I understand in this echo chamber, he thinks what he's doing, he's in the right. There's nothing funny about it. And I get that when you see a celebrity spiraling out, it is entertaining for us to follow it, but it is really dark. It is emotionally abusive behavior. It is textbook post-separation abuse. There is a gendered part of this because just imagine if Kim did any of this in regards to Kanye. Well, it's also really dark that he's been dating and he's been putting that out there. He started dating people first before Kim did. I mean, he's such an egomaniac. Now that he's finally realized that his marriage is actually over, he's lost control of the situation and he's spiraling out and acting aggressive. I'm more scared for when he realizes that the relationship is over because now he's on this kind of high and believing, you know, he kind of has God has a plan for my family. Yeah, this true belief that he can get Kim back. Yeah, he's delusional. There's no good transition to talk about Kylie revealing her baby name. Well, when there is darkness, there is light. But also poor Kylie is trying to have these pop culture moments and she's just getting overshadowed by euphoria episodes and Kanye's behavior. She can't win. Yeah, she doesn't get her W Magazine pregnancy cover, even though she hit her bump like the whole time. It's upsetting. They named their son Wolf Webster. I didn't know until Stormy was born that his name was not actually Travis Scott. Because I was like, oh, Stormy Scott, that's a great name. And I was like, Stormy Webster, who's this? It does seem like a strange name to choose because it is so generic. Wolfie? No, oh, Travis, Travis Scott. Scott. <laughs> no, there's nothing generic about Wolf Webster. Although I think it's it's not that crazy in the scheme of celebrity baby names. No. And I like the alliteration. That's all I got on this. Poor Kylie. We, I don't know what the edit's going to be, but we've spoken about Kanye for like 10 minutes. And we're like, anyway, Kylie named her baby wolf. Eh. Thank you guys for joining us again. Thank you to King Princess. And uh, we never know how to wrap up this show. It's always so awkward. I know. Our manager was like, it's kind of like you just come to the end and you're like, okay, bye. And it's like, because we've like talked for an hour and we're like, okay, bye. Yeah, we run out of steam. We end the podcast like Mary J. Blige ended her Super Bowl set just by collapsing backwards out of our chairs. 
We appreciate you guys. For those who are patrons or contemplating become patrons, the second part of our postmortem about And Just Like That will also be going up this week. That is nearly three hours of content for five, at least $5. Bargain town. You can't even get a ticket to Jackass Forever. A matinee showing for that. Yeah, that's like cheaper than a box of junior mints at AMC. <laughs> Uh, certainly cheaper than the gigantic Diet Coke you got, the Diet Coke machine. Shout out to the AMC. At AMC, there is a Coke machine, and they have this at Five Guys, where you just press buttons and they have every iteration of Coke and caffeine-free Coke. That's the genius thing, caffeine-free Diet Coke, because when I see a movie at night, I don't want the caffeine, but I want the soda. I want the diet soda, and this solves all of my problems. It's genius. Anyway, so if you want more of this, if you want me going on a solid five minutes comparing the last Star Wars franchise within just like that, that's the type of stuff you get with the Patreon. And also, it seems like if you join us and get us to that Chapo Trap House level, the first thing Chelsea's going to buy is one of those Coke machines. Oh, that would be so good. All right, guys, we'll see you next week, which will be our one year anniversary of the podcast. What are we going to do to celebrate? Um, we're going to read some of our really bad reviews. Oh, right. Okay. But we're also going to read IMDb reviews for And Just Like That. Yes, we're comparing our own one-star reviews with one-star <laughs> reviews for And Just Like That. Because look, we're not immune to bad reviews, okay? We understand this. When we level the criticism at And Just Like That, we're not immune either, okay? Yeah. We can dish it out and we can kind of take it. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> One person cyber bullies us. I'm like crying into my pillow at night. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.